Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. How many would say that you are kind of an ambitious person? I'll go first. I'm really ambitious, okay? So it's okay. It's not like a bad thing, okay? How many, like, you like to get stuff done. You feel good when you check something off the list. Like, you're like, hey, man, I'm, I'm made for activity. Let's get some things done here. How many, even if you're not like, you don't want to conquer the world or anything, you love a round of applause from time to time. You love an boy. You love an girl. You know, you, you like hearts on Instagram. You want people to just, somebody notice, please notice, you know, what I'm doing here. I think that's wonderful. I think that we are meant to be encouraged and we're meant to be encouragers. Here's what I would ask you, though. Is there a place where that desire for praise, that desire for making our mark can ever turn bad? I think there is, and I think that we're seeing this more and more every year. So so you don't have to look very hard. You can clearly see studies done all the time of the current generation of teenagers and their amount of time on social media has made them the most depressed generation of teenagers this country's ever seen. They're more isolated, even though they're more connected to folks. And some speculate the reason is because they're seeing how everybody else is doing and comparing themselves to it, and they feel like they are falling short. We can all feel like we fall short in some ways. So there's this really difficult uh, dichotomy going on as we look at the page of scripture. On one level, we don't want to undervalue ourselves because we're worth Jesus. Like Jesus thinks that you are worth leaving heaven for and bleeding to death on the cross for. But you know, there's another danger too, and that's overvaluing ourselves. That's when it, it, it transitions from, hey man, I'm glad that people appreciate me to, I think people should be like me. I think like I'm the prototype and if everyone would just get their act together, things would be going a little better around here. And I just want to caution us that that's a very dangerous place when we start thinking that people should be like us. And the truth is we can all fall prey to both. We can undervalue ourselves and be overvaluing ourselves. And we're going to learn today from John the Baptist why that's not a good idea and why a much better idea is to position ourselves so that we appreciate what God has done and is doing in our lives, but we're spending a lot of effort pointing back to Jesus Christ and how awesome he is. And what we're going to find is going to trip you out. You're going to be way happier that way than getting all the likes you could possibly get. John tells us a secret. We're going to see it later on in the passage, but I just want to just tell you what he says. He's, he's giving away his influence in this moment. And yet, he says, this joy of mine is now complete because of his friendship with God. Pride is a lid on an empty heart. There's a spiritual pride that is just, it's good to, you know, be in a sense proud of your kids or grandkids or whatever. But there's an inner pride that is over-celebrating self. And you're looking at whatever is in the basket of you, and you put pride as a lid on it, and now it starts to decompose inside because you're not meant to have a lid of pride on that. We're meant to be 
developing our friendship with God and he is causing virtue and goodness and beauty to spill out of us, but not in a way that is particularly self-aware. Here's what we're going to see John the Baptist do. It really helps if we go back in time a little bit to Genesis chapter 3. Since Genesis chapter 3, the world has had a messed up relationship with leadership. Okay, so the, our first parents, they misused their power and we're all suffering for it. They sinned and now sin is in our veins. And since then, leadership has kind of been a mixed bag. I mean, you know this, you watch leaders and sometimes there's a lot of virtue that comes through leaders, but there's also a lot of, when people have a lot of power to influence, they do it for self-centered reasons and they make it a lot about serving themselves. And now John the Baptist says, Jesus is forerunner. He's ushering in this new age. He said, just like it was prophesied in Genesis chapter three, there's finally a new good king. And this new good king, he's gonna demonstrate an entirely different kind of leadership and an entirely different kind of influence. He's going to not demand that everybody uh, just talk about how wonderful he is. John the Baptist is gonna go first. He's going to point to Jesus Christ and he's going to give away his authority. So um, let's pick it up, John 3, 22. After this, this is after the Nicodemus stuff. So if y'all were here last week, Jesus had just met kind of at night in secret with Nicodemus. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the province of Judea where he spent some time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon, not far from Salim. I spent a lot of study trying to figure out how to pronounce those. So those are right, just so you know. I just want a little bit of credit for there. I'm not trying to be prideful, but I just want you to know how much I love you and I work hard for you, okay? I didn't know what the, how you pronounce those words. Because there's plenty of water in that place, people were going to him and he was baptizing. Not only that, I got you a picture. This is what scholars believe that place probably was and where they were baptized. So now, you know, you can maybe picture it a little bit better. Verse 24, this was before John had been put in prison. Some of John's disciples, uh-oh, began arguing with a Jew about the matter of ritual washing. Now, they're all Jews, but what they're saying is this is what wasn't part of one of John the Baptist's crew. See, a lot of people were coming around to watch people get baptized, okay? And sometimes, like religious people do, when they don't have enough to do, they start to argue about the finer theological points of whatever, Okay, now you got you got. I'm a pastor, man. Like I read theology books for fun, but this is just something I've noticed. Okay, so just watch out for this. Um, oftentimes, here's what happens: somebody has gifts of knowledge, like they're actually really smart, but they want to talk about the things they're learning about the Bible. So they come in and they just start spraying it all over everybody. And the the real problem there is, they need to be around a lot smarter people. Okay, so they're sharpening against people that can't even, like, they don't even know what they're talking about. And those people feel bad because they don't know. And these people start to, like, talk about how, you know, much they know. And then you get maybe one or two others in the room. And so they start kind of fighting about theology. And, and here's what, you know, what should have happened is, yeah, guys, um, why don't you start helping people? Like, that's what, they, hey, why don't you, hey, somebody go get, you know, go down to KFC and get us some chicken. Do something. Don't just sit here and argue while people are getting baptized. I don't know for sure if that's what happens. I'm pretty sure they didn't have a KFC, but I'm just saying, you, you just watch out. If you're one of those guys like me that loves to talk about deep things, just check yourself from time to time. Not everybody always wants to hear it. Find people that like that, you know, and go off into a room by yourselves and encourage one another or grow up and learn how to do it in an edifying way that doesn't hog the mic. Somebody say amen. 
Slap your neighbor and say, go help somebody. Not right now, but after church. Verse 26, so they went to John and said, teacher, you remember the man who was with you on the east side of the Jordan, the one who you spoke about, he's talking about Jesus. Well, he's baptizing now and everyone is going to him. So these, these disciples are a little bit jealous, man. They're like, um, John, it seems like your star is you know, going down now and Jesus is the rising star and we, we don't know about that, man. You're like the original. Isn't the original kind of more important? John, you better do something to like get back some of the, you know, the love of the people. Verse 27, John answered, no one can have anything unless God gives it to him. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. Now he goes into this metaphor. You got you to stay with me here, okay? In this metaphor, like God has used in the past through prophets, He's saying the people of God are like a bride and God himself, or Jesus in this case, God the son, is the groom, okay? And now John the Baptist is going to identify himself. Where is he in this? Well, he, yes, in, in one sense, he's part of the bride, but he's also the best man. He's the friend of the bridegroom, he's going to say. So let's listen to what he says. He says, the bridegroom is the one to whom the bride belongs. He's saying, those guys aren't mine, they're Jesus's. But the bridegroom's friend, that's John, stands by and listens and is glad when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This is how my own happiness is made complete. We're going to get back to that in a second. But this, this bridegroom in Jesus' time, I want you to picture, it's like a cross between the best man and the wedding planner, okay? So they put those together. I think that would be way more useful for the best man, honestly, in this day and age. Best men don't really do much, all right? They make a speech, uh, but... In this time, the best man would have been the one who was like organizing things behind the scenes. If you remember back in the wedding at Cana, the one who was like, hey, you've saved the best wine for less. That probably was the friend of the bridegroom. That's what that role was. And what John is saying is, guys, you got to understand, the whole wedding is about the bride and the groom, not about the best man. It's not about the friend of the bridegroom. It's about them. And in particular, in this example right here, it's about Jesus Christ. Okay, normally in today's weddings, it's about the bride. How many know it's really about the bride? Yeah. Dudes, if you don't know that, oh my word, there's, we need to have an offline conversation, okay? But it's, it's, the wedding's about the bride. I mean, yes, it's about you, but it's about the bride, okay? In this case, though, we got to understand, the bride is a harlot, and Jesus is not only marrying her, he's rescuing her. Okay, so it's about the groom. It's about Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist is saying. Guys, this is about him. Verse 30, he must become more important while I become less important. Or maybe more melodious translations that you might be familiar with might say, he must increase, but I must decrease. And then he goes on about how awesome Jesus is. Verse 31, he who comes from above is greater than all. He who is from the earth, that's John the Baptist, belongs to earth and speaks about earthly matters, but he who comes from heaven is above all. He says, guys, I'm not even in the same class as Jesus, man. Like, I'm in grade school. This guy is like a nuclear scientist, Jesus. We're just not on the same level. Everybody should rightly be looking to Jesus, not to me. Interesting sidelight here. I don't know if you've you've thought about this, but Nicodemus was the guy we studied last week, okay? So he's like the Pharisee that's really got a lot of degrees. He's the one who everybody thinks is really awesome. He's the professional religious person. But he did not recognize that Jesus was the Son of God and his Messiah. He sniffed out something, 
but he didn't have the discernment to know who Jesus really was. John the Baptist did. Even though Jesus was his cousin and he didn't know most of his life, then the Spirit reveals it to him because he's got the discernment, because he did what all of us need to do. The most important thing that you can do as a Christian is get to know the voice of God through God's word and through his Holy Spirit. And that takes a long time. And I promise that that is the inheritance of everybody. People have different measures of giftedness with that, but that's the inheritance of every Christian. You get to hear God through the scriptures if you will pursue it. But what we got to remember is, you know, when we first start out, man, you know, I realized when I first started out as a Christian, there was some giftedness there. Like I would hear God from time to time especially through the pages of scripture, but then even by the Holy Ghost. But what I didn't know right away was, yeah, sometimes, you know, Carter, you're just a little one. You're just little still, okay? I was 18, but I was still little. And I had to learn to distinguish between God's voice and my own flesh, my own voice, and the devil. And can I just tell you, yeah, that takes about a decade and a half at least through experience, through getting it wrong, Okay, and through learning, oh, that's a really selfish voice that I'm claiming is God, but God wouldn't say something like that. And so it just takes a long time. And the best context to do that is with the body of Christ. Okay, that's why we ask the older ones, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think about this? We get advice. And can I just challenge, you know, the way I think fierce people should do it. Instead of saying, God told me, we should try to say that a little bit more humbly because we could be wrong. It's not like we're quoting scripture. Anything you feel like God is showing you is less than scripture. It's subjective. It's still going through you, which is a fallen human being. We should rather say, I believe God might be saying to me, what do you think about that? Do you get a witness to that? Anybody have thoughts on that? Does that sound like the kind of thing God would say? This is a really awesome thing to be able to hear God with some relative accuracy, but we need the body to help us fine tune it, Okay. So if, anyone, if anyone's got some gifts, just know, yeah, it, that's cool, but you are not an island onto yourself. You need the body of Christ just like everybody else. Don't let that thing spin you out into some big trial of pride. Verse 32, he tells us what he's seen and heard, talking about Jesus, yet no one accepts his message. Now, some people accepted his message because he's got disciples. The disciples received the message, verse 33, but whoever accepts his message confirms by this that God is truthful. What he's saying is, most of the people right now are not receiving, in John the Baptist's time, he's saying most people aren't receiving who Jesus is. And, but those who do, what happens is God begins to reveal himself to them. And this is really how it works in real life. Let me read you this text. John 14, 21. Whoever has, this is Jesus talking, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus is always saying, believe first, let that work out in obedience, and then I'll show. See, sometimes we're like, God, you know, why don't you just show up then? You know, why don't you just show up at my door and break in, and then I'll know for sure what you think about it. And God says, no, why don't you invite me in? Why don't you receive me? I mean, if, if you showed up to somebody's house, okay, and they're like, why don't you prove it's you? I don't know if, I don't know if it's really you. You know, and they start giving you a hard time before they even invite you in. You'd be like, I might leave. <laughs> well, Jesus is to be honored and respected. He says, believe first. Receive Jesus for who he says he is, and then he will manifest himself to you. He will begin to confirm that he is exactly who he says he is. 
Verse 34, the one whom God has sent speaks God's words because God gives him the fullness of the spirit. We've talked about some of this before. The father loves his son and has put everything, someone say everything, everything in his power. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the son will not have life, but will remain under God's judgment. Let's review this really quickly because last week it said, whoever believes has eternal life. In this very next passage, it says whoever obeys. That's because in Jesus's mind, obedience and belief are the same. That means you can't say you really believe me if you don't obey me. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Now, it doesn't mean we have to have a perfect record at all. He just means, hey, if you're going to claim to walk with Jesus, you need to walk like Jesus did. There should be some level of understanding that you are under obligation to obey the actual master you say is your master. So it is, it is absolutely faith. He says it's going to work out, though, in obedience. I like to think about it. I know this is a weird story because you don't really think about Jesus when you think about this story, but you've heard this story before. There's a woman who is driving at night, and she notices there's a guy in a truck behind her, and he's really following close. And he keeps even flashing his lights on her. And then she's like, running through reds and he's following her through red lights and she's panicking and freaking out. And finally she's driving near a police station and she pulls in and she runs out of the car and the man jumps out of the truck and goes to her rear car door, opens it and drags out the guy that meant her harm who was behind her the whole time. That's a lot how Jesus is, okay? Jesus is, sin is in the backseat. If you are born on this planet, sin is in the backseat and there must be judgment for that backseat. But Jesus is chasing us down and people are afraid of Jesus. They're saying, I don't want Jesus to come into my house. And Jesus, I'm the thing that's going to save you from what's in the backseat that you cannot get away from. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So John the Baptist is warning his disciples and warning us, hey man, you gotta watch out for pride because applause from everybody is not actually how you get joy. How many could use some more joy? Yeah, I could. Some of you, yeah, you don't want joy. You're just like, hey, man, I'm cool to just, you know, I like sadness and depression, and uh, I'm going to go home and eat ice cream and cry. Um, so here's the question. How does Jesus want me to think about earthly fame? And when I say fame, I don't mean like world famous, okay? Anything that people are applauding us about can feel really good and can be really good, but Jesus has some asterisks that we want to pay attention to. Here's number one. Recognize Jesus is the only real celebrity. Recognize Jesus is the only real celebrity. That's what John the Baptist is telling us, verse 31. He who comes from above is greater than all. Hey, man, he's way beyond anything that I have. Even though I'm John the Baptist, generations are going to know about me. I ain't got nothing on Jesus. I mean, think about the people that you respect. Think about someone who's really talented. Think about a football Hall of Famer. Think about a rock star. Think about someone that you just really look up to. Yeah, okay, maybe. Maybe they're pretty talented. Who gave them that talent? Jesus. He invented that talent. He's greater than they are, okay? He's the most of a celebrity. What about power? You know, you got people like Jeff Bezos. What about him? He's got some power, right? He's running Amazon. Well, he's got some in a sense for now. He doesn't have any power that Jesus didn't give to him. What about plans? Elon Musk, man, he wants to get to Mars by tomorrow. Okay, he's got some plans but God has got plans that are way beyond anything Elon Musk could come up with. He's got an eternal plan from the beginning to the end. What are we saying? We're saying anything you can find that's remotely cool, God is better and awesomer at that, and by the way, probably invented it. 
So let's just recognize who the real celebrity is. Everybody else, dude, they're going to live and they're going to die. They're going to dust till they, they shall return. And God the Father has given everything into Jesus' hands. So some of you know that I was, uh, I went to, my undergrad was in acting, okay? Believe it or not, I didn't go to seminary until later. And I went to get an acting degree. And what you got to know, it's not like your high school play, okay? So when you go to a school to be professionally trained for acting, you recognize some things right away. First, they don't, they don't mess around because there's always 10 people that want your role. So if you even get a role, okay, and you're on stage, you do exactly what the director says, right? You, you don't have a vote. You don't have an opinion. You don't be like, hey, you know, I just don't think that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to walk over here. Maybe if you're like Tom Cruise, you can get away with that, okay? But nobody going to school could get away with that because they just kick you out, and they did. They just be like, no. You don't understand how this works. The director is redonkulously in charge. Just do what they say and go where they say. Well, Jesus is the director. God has given the scope of all authority into his hands. And sometimes we say, well, Lord, I want to do this, or I want to do that. I, th I think, God, I should be given a little bit more applause for this thing. And, you know, Jesus is way more gracious, but he's like, why don't you not dishonor the director? And just let the director do your blocking. Blocking is where the director tells you where to go on stage. Let the director, Jesus Christ, do the blocking. Let him tell us where we're supposed to go instead of always demanding that we need him to get behind us. So recognize Jesus is the only real authority. Here's number two, decline devotion to less than Jesus. Decline devotion to less than Jesus. We're all going to be tempted from time to time to have devotion to a person that is inappropriate. Now, God wants us to respect people. He wants us to honor people. He wants us to love people deeply, you know, and be very inspired by certain ones. But there's a line that crosses at some point where it's an inappropriate attachment. And he just wants us to just decline it. Just say, no, thanks. I'm not gonna let my heart go that far and latch onto that thing. There's an impulse that we all have to do this. And maybe it's not like some person maybe, that your heart attaches to and kind of exalts as this is a supreme thing. Maybe it is just, it's your political party. Maybe it is what you can do or what you know or where you can go or what you have access to or what you have power to or you know, just someone else that you know that you derive meaning just from being connected to that person. You think about, well, I'm glad I know them. My friends don't even know that person. I know them. I feel a little bit better about myself. You don't need to feel better about yourself because you know the most important person in the universe. And what John is saying is, he's saying, hey, um, disciples, protect your heart from attaching to me because I'm the wrong one to attach to. Instead, attach to God. Don't allow com competitors. So let me talk to you about spiritual leaders for a second, okay? Because there's a lot like going on in, in Christian pop culture that hopefully most of you don't even pay att much attention to. But there's a podcast right now called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it's going into, I've got really mixed feelings about this podcast because there's things that it points out and it also does so in a sinful way. So I feel really weird about that. And I'll give you my thoughts on that someday through a podcast or something. But anyway, it's pointing out, here's a bunch of things that spiritual leaders could do wrong. What it doesn't do so well is Tell us what spiritual leaders should do right. So I'm just going to tell you what spiritual leaders should do right, okay? Here we go. Spiritual leaders should take your hand and put it into Jesus' hand. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. He said, I already told you I'm not the guy. I already made that clear to everybody. I told you it's him. Why are you even like still bothering me about this? 
you should go connect to him. So there's a lot of ways that the Bible describes spiritual, spiritual leaders, like, you know, they're, they're shepherds of a flock and they're treasure revealers from God's word. But one of the ways that I think about it is they're like an orthodontist, okay? So you come in and the, the, the spiritual pastors, the leaders, hopefully if they're doing their job right, they're taking God's word and they're essentially putting it as braces on new Christians, and they're saying, you've done some really crazy stuff. Let me just get everything in alignment here. Now, you need, you need something to kind of hold you there and keep you there. So that's why you should keep coming to church and keep reading the Bible because things are a little bit out of whack. So let's get that all in alignment. But then you go by some years and some of you are older Christians. And, you know, you, it's not that you need to learn everything again. So that's where maybe a spiritual leader in some sense becomes like a retainer. Let me show you this. This is my gross retainer. It's really in here. I think it's gross, so I'm guessing you think it's gross. Uh, but my dentist told me, Carter, you need to put this on because you're doing damage to your teeth at night. And this is going to keep things, you know, when you were a kid, your parents spent all that money on braces. This is going to keep things the right way. And God's word and the spiritual family keeps things, you know, you don't, it's not like you need to move some major stuff all the time, but God's word and spiritual community and spiritual leaders point out, hey, this is getting a little bit out of alignment. Let's come back to God's word. That's really what spiritual leaders do. If they're doing anything else, if they're pointing to themselves in any way, they're doing it wrong. So what am I saying? Hey, we should enjoy people. We should enjoy the stuff that God gives us. And yet we should keep a little saran wrap over our heart and not allow ourselves to like congeal into somebody, okay? Hey, that's awesome, but they are at best a servant and they're not my God. I love them, but I'm not going to allow myself to have devotion to them in a wrong kind of a way. How many think this is pretty good so far? Well, I think the Holy Ghost thinks it's good, so I'm gonna keep on going. Um, Number three, resist please for my own renown. Resist please, for my own renown. This is where we're wishing, this is the thing that goes wrong, this is where we're wishing that other people would idolize us. We're like, oh man, you know, I, I, I just feel so good when people tell me how great I am. And, and again, that's okay from time to time, but when we're lusting after that, there's a difference between appreciating it and lusting for it, where you're willing to do anything, you're willing to cross lines in order to receive more props and praise from people. What did he say? He said, hey, man, I must decrease and he must increase. Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else. We're at our best when God is at the center. That's why God demands that he be at the center. I've used this illustration before, so you get to hear it again. God is like the sun at the center of our solar system. If you put anything in the center and take out the sun, immediately all you have is death and death. Nothing can work in that solar system if the sun is not in the center. And just in that way, when we put Jesus Christ at the center and keep him at the center, our lives begin to well up with fruitfulness and prosperity and everybody's in right relation to the sun who belongs in the center, who's the only one who can handle being in the center because he's God and won't be corrupted by it. So in football, there's the offensive line. And what they do is they, they make a way, they clear the path for the runner to take the ball, okay? Now, offensive linemen, one thing that they know is they got to stay low. And you got to stay low because if you're, if you're up here, you know, and you're doing a tergite all the time, you're going to get knocked right down. You're going to get taken out, man. Well, in the same way, God says, 
stay low. Stay low. Because it doesn't matter what letters are behind your name. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you know or, or what you can do or what you think. As soon as you get high, God is able to bring you low and remind you who God is for your own safety and the safety of others. And so what are we saying? We're saying ambition is dangerous. It needs prayed over again and again and again. We need to bring our motives back to God and say, is there anything else? God, I haven't been reminded in a while that it's not about me. So may the Holy Spirit make that thing resonate a little bit more deeply. Here's something else we got to know. I'm just telling you because it's the kind of thing that I need to hear. God doesn't owe anybody anything. He definitely doesn't owe anybody a certain level of prominence. He doesn't owe anybody a certain level of influence. He doesn't owe it to us to make us feel special in front of other people. We are the servant and he is the king. And Jesus really wants us to want him for himself, not for what he can do for us. And I got to tell you, man, for, for, you, for you who are growing in the Lord here, this kind of thing really, dude, it only comes through prayer. I can't lay hands on you and give it to you. I can't preach you into it. I can tell you about it. But until you go and you sit down in your chair or you go on a walk with God outside and you say, God, I don't know about some of my motives sometimes. My ambition, I don't know about this. Until you invite him into that room of the house, you'll be in the flesh. You and I cannot renovate our own hearts. Only the master can. Here's one way that I like to think about it. It may be that right now I'm the pastor of this church, but really I'm just the guy before the next guy. I'm just the guy after the previous guy and before the next guy. Whatever you are, like whatever you do for your life, whatever the things are that you might get applause about, it might be helpful to think about it. You're the girl before the next girl because someone's coming after you. You are the interim person. I'm the interim pastor no matter what because there's somebody coming after me. They're going to they're gonna pick it up. Like, Some of this was dumb. I don't want that. And they're going to do their own thing, Okay. And there's going to be people that come after you and you are just the next girl or the next guy and you're precious and you're awesome, but you're probably not going to like, dude, you're not the son of God. You're not going to break any molds, okay? People are going to be just fine without you and me on the planet. They're going to go right along. Decreasing involves, here's the goal. Here's what John the Baptist wants to give us revelation on. I don't know if you saw it there in verse 29. It changes decreasing. It changes the goal. And the goal becomes not my own personal following, not people screaming my name, not people knowing who I am. The goal becomes, I hear the voice of the groom. That's what he loved. You see it, verse 29? But the bridegroom's friend, that's John, but it's us, who stands by and listens. What does he do? He listens through God's word, through prayer, listening by the spirit. He's glad when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This is how my own happiness is made complete. My friends, what he's saying is there's no amount of hearts that can make you actually happy. Only friendship with God will truly fill you in the way it's supposed to. Your inheritance, your inheritance is better than any earthly esteem you could ever have. It is friendship with the living God. That's what it is. And that's why it's still true that pride is a lid on an empty heart, but friendship with God is the wellspring of an overflowing heart. God's voice is better than any human praise, and it's more important. If I was, if we were to take a survey right now, and I'd be like, hey, man, what's the most important thing in your life? You might say, oh, you know, it's my job, it's my kids, you know, it's, it's my vision, it's what I want to do. 
Hey, I'm not saying those aren't important. They're probably really important, but they're not the most important. The most important thing in your life is friendship with God. It doesn't matter your personality type. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you did wrong. The most important thing in your life is your friendship with God because he is the son at the center. He will bring balance and flourishing to every other priority of your life. But when you neglect him, all those other priorities are not doing as well as they could be. Friendship with God is our inheritance and it's better than anything else. Now, I find this really interesting. Jeremiah, we're getting there. How many still want me to keep preaching? Yeah, we're getting there. Jeremiah 9.23 is amazing because it's the one place in scripture where God says, you know, I don't want you to boast, but if you're gonna boast, here's a place that I'll let you. Here's a good place to boast. The Lord says, the wise should not boast in, of their wisdom, nor the strong of their strength, nor the rich of their wealth. If anyone wants to boast, he should boast that he knows and understands me because my love is constant and I do what is just and right. These are the things that please me, that they really know me. They know my heart. They know what I'm like. They know how I would respond in situations. That's what God says I would have you boasting about, that you really know me. And when that's true, we can, we can stop worrying. Psalm 138, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for you. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. When God is at the center when I'm seeking to boast in nothing really except the fact that I get to be friends with God, when that is true, God says, you don't have to worry about getting likes, dude. You don't have to worry about doors opening for you. I will chase you down with the right doors opening. I will give you the friends that you're after. I will make sure the right things happen to you because you're putting the first thing first. That doesn't mean it's gonna happen in your time, but it's gonna happen in the right time. God's gonna make it happen because God takes responsibility for making happen what's supposed to happen in the lives of of his servants. And the best way that you and I can get ready for that is walk humbly and faithfully and fruitfully with our God. He will take care of the rest. So what do we say? Recognize, number one, Jesus is the only real celebrity. Number two, decline devotion to less than Jesus. Number three, resist pleas for my own renown. And here's number four, nudge others toward a superior savior. Superior to you and me. Nudge them. You can't push them. Push, how many know pushing doesn't work? How many of you tried with somebody and you're like, just go, and it just didn't work because it doesn't work because they have a will of their own. But we can from time to time nudge people toward Jesus Christ. Maybe that is inviting them to church. Maybe it's having a conversation about what the cross means. Often, I'll give you a little hint. Often what it looks like is when somebody comes to you and they ask, what should I do? What do you think? What's your advice? If you're a Christ follower, and they know about it, there's a reason they're coming to you because they want you to talk them into the right thing. Even if they don't want to, part of them wants you to. And I know this because I know when y'all want to do something evil, you don't tell me about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, as a card, he'll try to talk me out of it. I'm just going to do it. But when people come to me, even when they're conflicted, they're like, the Holy Spirit in me wants you to talk me into obedience. So use that privileged position and help people. You, you know what you say? You just say, I think you should obey. I think you should do whatever the son of God tells you to do. He's got all authority. He's got all power. He knows how this works best. He wrote the word of God with you in mind. I think whatever you do, find a way to obey God. That's what you should do. And what are you doing there? You're putting their hand 
in Jesus' hand. You're not making him dependent on you. You're saying, go to Jesus. I already told you I'm not the one. Go to Jesus. He's got everything you need. I'm gonna close with this illustration. I've done a lot of weddings over the years. And one that is one part of the wedding that I find particularly spiritually poignant is there's a moment when the father or the stepfather, whoever is giving away the bride, comes down the aisle and I'll say something like, who gives this woman to this man, to the new, you know, to the husband? And the father will say, her mother and I, or we do, or something like that. And then I always like to have them do this. I have them act this out at the rehearsal before we ever get to the wedding. The father lifts the veil and he kisses the girl on the cheek. And then I have him very kind of visibly take her hand, put it in the man's hand. And then they turn and the dad kind of floats away. I'm like, dad, you're done. Go, go sit down. You're not up anymore. Because the girl has a new man in, in a sense. And it's time for you to let go. That's what we want to do for people in Jesus. We'll say, hey man, I love you. I'll, I'll, do, I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you want. But my job is take your hand and put it in the hand of your new husband, Jesus Christ. And say, this man, he's the best husband. He will lead you right. But he's the one who gets all the glory. Now, here's the thing. You and I, we can't cast out the thing in us that wants inappropriate applause, but the master can. So let's look, if you've ever put your hand in Jesus' hand, now's the time to squeeze it and let's look at him and let's ask Jesus, I need you to give me a heart that delights in not me being applauded, but you being applauded. Let's bow our heads. Father, sometimes pride is like a prison that we can't even see. And so we ask you, awesome, mighty God, sweet Savior Jesus. We're asking you to soften us. We're asking you to check us in our spirit when we're just wrongly thinking about stuff. We're wanting people to stay connected to us or we're wanting to attach to certain ones or we're looking for humans to give us meaning. God, we look to you and we repent for any, you know, just kind of any any sense that that was ever hurtful to you, Jesus. We just ask for forgiveness. You alone are our new husband. We thank you. We trust that you're going to do it. May you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible-preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being His witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.